Good morning, everybody. That video is a little bit quicker than the others. I wonder about the order, though. They're like, I'm thankful for sweet tea, my dog, church. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I, thought it was, I thought it was funny. Hi. Well, if you don't know me, I'm Pastor TJ. I'm the student pastor here. Um, last week, as you probably know, was Halloween. Uh, pretty fun um, weekend. The, the kids did a lot of uh, fun activities and had like a Halloween party uh, down in the, um, the north wing there. And um, So if you, if you know some families with some kids, they're always doing really fun stuff. So invite them to church, send the kids down there. Um, you won't regret it. It's, it's a lot of fun. And then the sat- Saturday before Halloween, which was the 30th, uh, we were down at the community center uh, passing out. We have these cups filled with candy and some information on the church. Uh, and we passed out like 500 of these cups uh, to the community. Uh, and so that was pretty exciting. Uh, but now Halloween's over, right? And, and we're kind of moving on in the, the holiday season. Uh, and the next stop is Christmas. No, it's Thanksgiving. Um, <laughs> Christmas begins on the 25th. If, if we're going to have the argument here... Uh, this is way off topic, but I'm up here and you gave me a microphone, so you got to deal with it. Uh, Advent begins on the 28th of November, okay? Uh, and then Advent lasts all the way up until Christmas. And so Christmas doesn't begin until the 25th. And actually, there was, you know, a time when people wouldn't even put up their trees until the 25th. And then, here's the cool part, Christmas then lasts for 12 days after that and you have to get a calendar and count. I think it's the 5th or the 6th of January. Uh, but anyway, I don't know why I brought that up. It just, it just happened. I'm going to blame Jen. All right, so today we're, we're kicking off our thankful series. Uh, and it's going to be a, you know, several weeks uh, just kind of talking about all the different things that we have to be thankful for. Uh, and it's our hope that throughout this series, that in the next several weeks, that uh, God uses it to uh, nurture within us a, a spirit and a, a mindset and an attitude of thankfulness. Uh, because if anybody in the world has reasons to be thankful, it's us, right? Uh, so, you know, growing up at my house, um, or growing up, Thanksgiving was often at my house. At least that's how I remember it. Maybe that's not true, but for today, that's, that's what it's going to be. Thanksgiving was often at my house uh, growing up. And we, I have a, a big family. I'm the, the second youngest of seven brothers and sisters. And then you have my parents. And so if you're uh, not great at math, that makes nine. Um, seven kids, two parents. And then you add to that aunts and uncles and cousins uh, and grandma and, and all these people. And they would uh, infiltrate our house uh, and, you know, they'd bring food, and, and like this table right here, if you like stretch it across the stage, then it is enough to fit all of the people that would come, uh, and that's what would usually happen. It would go from like the kitchen through the living room and to the front door, and, you know, everybody would bring food, and there'd be pie and all that stuff. You guys know how Thanksgiving works. Uh, I don't have to explain it to you, but uh, here's the thing. By the time everybody got to the house and all the food was ready and everybody was hungry because mom and dad wouldn't let us eat too much before the Thanksgiving meal because we had to save room, which is a weird strategy when it comes to food. Like, just starve yourself all day and then eat for like two weeks worth of food in one sitting. You can only do that one one day of the year. Uh, And I don't even know if then we should. But that's what we do. Uh, 
And so everybody is really hungry, and we're sitting around the table, but before we could eat, there was always like one thing that had to happen first. We had to go around the table and answer this question. What is one thing that you are thankful for? I don't know, do you guys do that at your house? Um, it's, a good, it's a good practice. It's a good, good tradition. And so I kind of had that idea in mind as I was thinking about what we wanted to talk about today. Uh, just kind of this us all sitting together as, you know, a church family around imaginary table, and it's now my turn to say the one thing that I'm thankful for. And so I'm going to take like the super spiritual approach. There's always one of those people at the table, and you're kind of suspicious of them. You're like, you, you, you believe what they're saying is true, but it also sometimes feels like they're just trying to prove that they're more spiritual than everybody else. Uh, maybe I'm just the one that thinks that I'm cynical by nature. Um, it's one of my spiritual gifts. But that's the approach I'm going to take because we're at church, and that's what we came here for, Right? Uh, and so there's this topic that uh, they came up in a class discussion, a class that I was taking, and um, I, it, I've been thinking about it for a while. And, and it's this idea of the, the prevailing and the persistent presence of God. And, and if I have to pick my one thing that I'm thankful for today, that's what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for the, the, the prevailing and the persistent presence of God. Just the fact that God is near, that God is here, that, that God is there, that, that, that God, God is present in and with all of creation no matter what, even when we don't realize it, even when we don't deserve it, even when we don't want it, God is present. And, and really, to me, that, that's kind of, that's the heart of the good news of the Christian message, the, the thing that we believe, it, it's the heart of the, the, the message that God is present. Knowing that God could have abandoned us, but God didn't abandon us. Uh, and, and not only that, it, it's, it's also our testimony that not only is, is God with us, like right here and now as you know, followers of Christ, as, but, but it's also our testimony that even before we knew it. And even before we put our faith in Christ, God was there. And, and we've probably heard lots of people give their testimony, give their story, and, and say things like, you know, but before I even knew, you know, looking back now, I see now uh, what I didn't see then, that all the different ways that God was with me. Isn't that, is that your testimony too? Even if we, you know, we, even if we grew up in church or if we didn't, like we can look back at our lives and before we were even aware, we could see the presence of God in our lives. The prevailing, persistent presence of God. The simple, profound truth, right? And, and, and to me, it's really the the starting point, the, the, the foundational truth to, to everything else that we have in this life to be thankful for, it, it starts with that big and simple idea that God is present. Uh, one of the verses that uh, you hear and it kind of sticks with you at least, uh, it has stuck with me throughout the years, is it's in Hebrews chapter 
11, or 13, I said it wrong. 11, I think, was last week. No, I don't know. Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse 5, and it's never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. And, and that's found in a couple different places in the Bible, but isn't that great? Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. The persistent, prevailing presence of God. And really, this is an idea that runs all throughout Scripture. Uh, because after all, isn't that what Scripture is? It's the story of, of the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, interacting and being present with humanity, with his creation. Uh, and the great thing is, is, is when we tell that story, it acts as a way to draw people to this God that is present in the pages of the Bible and present in and with creation all the time. The presence of God. Now, it's going to deviate again. It's one of those things, like, especially if you grew up in church or you've been around, it's like we, we say it all the time, you know, yeah, God is here, God is everywhere. And, like, we say it so often, and it's so, and such an ordinary thing we talk about that it kind of loses, like, the real impact of what it really is and what it really means. Uh, and so anyway, there's so many different places in, in the Bible that we could turn to to look at this idea of the, the presence of God, the prevailing presence of God. And, uh, but as I was thinking through, like the first story that came to mind was a story about, uh, about this guy here. Let's see if it, there it is, yeah. Uh, you might know who that is, that's Jonah. It's a real picture of Jonah. Um, I mean, it's a real picture, but it's probably not the real Jonah. Uh, so Jonah, right, Jonah was a prophet. He never really got it. Yes, sad but true. Sad but true. <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's actually in my notes right here. Um, Jonah was a prophet, but he never really got it. Sad but true. So did you look at these? <laughs> um, you know, as a prophet, you have really one job, and that is to bring the message of God to whomever God tells you to bring that message to. And we probably know the story of Jonah, but we're going to talk about it again anyway. Um, and so this is how the story begins. This is Jonah chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 1. And we're just going to look at the first three verses real quick. It says this. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So Jonah had one job, right? Go to Nineveh, preach. Easy. Doesn't he have to be a good sermon? He just has to go there because God told him to and preach because God told him to. But what does Jonah do? He disobeys, right? And uh, Yeah, he disobeys, but there's more to it happening. than It's not just simple disobedience. There, there's, there's more going on. And I think it's important that we uh, are understanding this scenario correctly because it, it wasn't simply Jonah's goal to get out of doing what God told him to do. Jonah's goal was to get away from God. It said it twice in verse 3. Uh, take a look. I got them underlined in the next slide. Yeah. But Jonah ran away from the Lord 
right? It did all those other things. And then again, it says to flee from the Lord. And so, so it's not only that Jonah didn't want to do what God was telling him to do. It's that, that this thing that God wanted Jonah to do was so offensive and so repulsive to Jonah. Not only did Jonah not want to do it, he didn't much want to be around the God that told him to do it. And he didn't much want to hear what God had to say about it. And so it wasn't just that Jonah was disobeying God. Jonah was fleeing from the Lord. So he runs, right? He goes uh, down from Israel to Joppa. He goes down to the, the docks and he gets on a ship and he sets sail. And, and I can just uh, imagine Jonah like looking off in the distance as the land gets smaller and breathing a sigh of relief and thinking, I made it. I'm out of Israel. You know, God's hometown. I'm far from the temple, you know, God's, God's house. I, I've made it. I've, I've done it. I have finally escaped God. I'm home free. Then the weather start, started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. If it wasn't for the... I had to. That's a different story. Um, But no, this, the storm comes, right? The wind is blowing, the waves, the, the crew is scared. And if the crew's scared, then it's a good indication that you should probably be scared too. And, and Jonah starts to think, he's like, you know what? Maybe I haven't gone far enough. If going down from Israel uh, to Joppa wasn't good, going down the docks and getting on the ship wasn't good enough, going out to sea wasn't far enough, then I, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go down to the bottom of the ship and I'm going to lay down for a nap. So that's what he does. Sometimes we sleep because we're tired. Sometimes we sleep because we want to escape our conscience. Um, and so Jonah takes a nap. Uh, and I could imagine him kind of snoring away thinking, all right, I've done it. I successfully ran away from the reach of God, from the presence of God. And then Jonah is woke, awakened, woken. They say, hey, Jonah, wake up. That's what happens. And, and so Jonah gets up. Uh, the, the crew is a little bit angry and confused and scared and all these things. And they're like, how in the world can you sleep at a time like this? And, uh, and you know, conversation happens. The story unfolds. And they discover that the reason this storm was there is because Jonah was fleeing from God. And so they say, Jonah, okay, Jonah, what do we have to do to fix this? We don't want to die. So what do we got to do? Now, it's, it's my opinion that if Jonah would have said something like, all right, guys, I've got to get to Nineveh. Um, I know this is probably a hassle, but maybe if you can turn the boat around. Uh, you know, I, I, I found out that this is a futile effort that I'm doing. If, if you can just get me back, you know, in that direction. Uh, it, it's my opinion, if Jonah would have said something like that, that the storm would have calmed and things would have been good. And we won't ever know that because that's not what happens in the story. Instead, Jonah says this. This is verse 12. He says, all right, guys, pick me up, throw me into the sea, and it will become calm, and I know uh, that it is my fault this great storm has come upon you. And, and so Jonah says, I would rather die than go to Nineveh, so please just throw me overboard. If going down from Israel to Joppa wasn't far enough, if going down to the docks and getting on the boat and going down to the belly of the ship and laying down for a nap, if that wasn't far enough, then well, I'm just going to go down to the very bottom of the sea. It may be there I can escape the presence of God. Maybe there I will be beyond his 
reach. Uh, Psalm 139, verse 8 says, If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. The prevailing, persistent presence of God. And no matter how hard Jonah ran, and no matter how far he went, even to the very depths of the sea where uh, the Bible says his life was ebbing away from him, uh, the seaweed wrapping around him, he was becoming encased in the... Really cool. you got to read it, Jonah chapter 2. Even there, God was present. But why... Why was God continually present with Jonah? Well, because Jonah was such a great guy, right? You know, sometimes we tell this story and we say, you know, it's, it's because God just really wanted to make sure that Jonah did what he said, so he was going to coerce him into submission and obedience. And I don't know if that's the right way to tell this story, but sometimes that's how we tell it. Was it because Jonah was a, uh, an Israelite, one of the people of God? Was it because Jonah was a prophet? Was it because Jonah was such a swell guy? Is that why God was persistent in his presence with Jonah? Jonah wasn't a good guy. Like in my book, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but like in my estimation, Jonah was kind of a scumbag. Like, read the, read the story. It's really short. Only take you a little bit. But read it. And, and if you read through there, you will find a reason why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. See, sometimes when we tell this story, when I've heard it growing up, we, we, we say, you know, Jonah was afraid to go to Nineveh. And that's why Jonah didn't go to Nineveh, because he was scared, because the people in Nineveh, you know, they belonged to the Assyrian kingdom. These were terrible and wicked people, and Jonah was afraid of them because they would, like, impale their enemies on stakes and put them out in front of the city. They would hang their, their uh, enemies' heads from trees way before Christmas started. <laughs> wow. Sorry. Uh, like... That was terrible. Um, so, if Jonah, like, they would torture people in, in, like, gruesome ways that they would slap people with fish. That's another veggie tales. We got to, you guys got to catch up on your veggie tales. All right. So, like, if that was the reason that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, I would understand. I wouldn't want to go to Nineveh. But that's not the reason Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. And we find out why. It's later on in the book, and I'm sorry, spoiler alert, he finally does make it to Nineveh, okay? Uh, he, he preaches to the Ninevites. They all turn to God. And in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, Jonah prays, and he says this. It says, he prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I, I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. It's hard to read that angrily, but that's like the tone that Jonah is saying these things. He is really upset at God. Like he really, really hated the Ninevites, and he's mad at God for not destroying them. 
The reason Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh isn't because he was afraid of them. He was afraid that if he went, they would repent and God would forgive them and they wouldn't be destroyed. So to me, in my way of thinking, in my book, that kind of makes Jonah a little bit of a scumbag. And, And so... For me, there's no logical reason why God would remain present with Jonah besides the simple fact that God loved Jonah. See, because it it seems like God was like, all right, fine, Jonah, you run, you go to the sea, you sink to the bottom, fine. I'll just get a donkey, I'll send it over to Nineveh. Like, God had options. He said no. And he, he was persistently present with Jonah because God loved Jonah. But here's the question. I mean, we can read this story and we can, we can see very clearly this, this persistent and prevailing presence of God in the life of Jonah. But, but the question is, was God also present with the Ninevites? Of course. Of course, it's it's not like Jonah was taking God to them. God was there. See, I think what was happening and what happens when someone proclaims the truth of the message of God, it's not that we're bringing God to a place he hadn't existed before. No, Jonah in his sermon and his going to the city was, was making known to the people the, the presence and the work of God already there in the city. Uh, Jonah, when he preached the, the world's shortest sermon, begrudgingly, he was giving words to the voice of God that was already there, already speaking, already calling out to these people to come to him. Jonah's uh, sermon in the city worked as a way to open up their eyes and open up their ears uh, to to activate this faith inside of them to a grace that was already available to them. And so this morning as we are sitting around our imaginary table and and I share this one thing that I'm thankful for, Well, it's this great truth we see in the story of Jonah and all throughout the Bible, the the persistent presence, the persistent prevailing presence of God. Because I can testify in my own life, and I know many of you can as well, and we can look back and we can think, you know, all those times that our obedience was less than perfect, yet God was there. Knowing times that we would rather take a nap than listen to what God has to say about something. Knowing uh, the, the times of maybe outright rebellion. Knowing the times when we have neglected to share the gospel, maybe out of fear or maybe because of some other Jonah-esque sort of reason. All the times where we felt lost and alone and desperate and, and grieving and, and, and heavy and all the times where maybe we were a little bit overconfident and prideful and God was there. God was there. Sometimes in these times where we wished he wasn't because we just wanted to do our own thing, God was there. 
And, and today I'm thankful for this because, you know, at Thanksgiving time we think a lot about family and friends. And so I, I think of my family and my friends and, you know, siblings and aunts and uncles, and, and I think of how this story is true in their lives also. And, and the many mistakes and the, and the dark places they found themselves in, that God was there with them, calling them to him. And, and, you know, I know this time of year we're around family maybe more than normal. Maybe for some of us, maybe more than we want to be. And, and there's a lot of joy and laughter, maybe a lot of tension. And, and sometimes there's... Um, unwanted reminders from the people we really love and care about of how hard they are running away from God and, and maybe how like, God's not even on their radar. And so it makes it difficult because we love them, we care for them. And so we can be thankful and we can be encouraged knowing that the, the amount that we love them and, and the amount that we care for them that God loves them more. God loves them more. And God is present with them even if we can't see it. Even if they don't know it, God is present with them. And, and so maybe there will be something that you say this year or do this year that will, will act as perhaps an inadequate but effective way for, for just a moment, for, for them to momentarily see the presence of God already there, working in their lives. For, for them to, for even just a moment, to see the love and the grace of God already available to them. Maybe God will use us like he used Jonah in Nineveh, hopefully not begrudgingly like that guy Jonah. Man, that guy. That guy. Um, you know, I'm thankful for the prevailing, persistent presence of God because you know, as we come here each week, we, we celebrate how God is with us and that, that God is present. Um, not quite yet. <laughs> I told Jim I'd give him the... Um, it's, I, li I actually like it when things don't go correctly because it just is always a reminder of, of God's love and grace towards us. Um, and so anyway... Um, See, I, I'm thankful for this because, you know, we come here, we come to church, we think, yeah, God is present here, and it's true, God is. But you know what? I, as I was thinking about these things over the past several weeks, I, you know, if God is present and his presence is persistent, prevailing, and in and with all creation, that means, yeah, God is here with us. But there's somewhere, someone this morning who woke up, uh, maybe from a whole night of bad decisions, and God is present with them. And, and, and maybe there's someone somewhere this morning lying in a gutter, you know, track marks all up and down their arms, and God is present with them. Maybe there's someone who just woke up and they kissed their husband or they kissed their wife and they took their dog on a walk and they woke up happy and all was good in their world and... God's just not even on their radar, but God is present with them. 
Someone's going to hear this and think, God, you know, Pastor TJ says God is everywhere so we don't have to go to church anymore. That's not what I'm saying. That's a different sermon another time. But the, the prevailing presence of God, that, that's the Christian message. That there, there's nothing that would make God abandon us. There's nothing that would make God turn his back on us. You know, that's, that's the message of the gospel, right? The, the, whole, the, the, the message of the incarnation, the fact that God became human and lived among us is this message that says no matter what, God is determined to be present with us. And, and, and as God was with us, uh, you know, God the Son and Jesus Christ walking the earth time and time again, we saw him going to places and eating with people who um, the other sinners called sinners, which is weird. Uh, and, and when you, that, that lady was brought to him who was caught in the act of adultery, God doesn't, uh, you know, Jesus didn't say, I can't even look upon her for I am too holy. I must turn my face. No. He says, neither do I continue. You go and sin no more. The, he goes to the woman at the well and like she's been sleeping around. She's living with some guy and like there's no point where God is turning his back on us. Sometimes, well, I don't want to get off track again. You know, the, the story of the garden, I think, is a good illustration of it. Adam and Eve, they sin. In their shame, they hide from God. Sometimes, though, when we tell that story, we tell it like God cast them out of his presence because of their sin. Read the story again. Adam and Eve hid themselves from God. God went looking for them. It's not like God didn't know. He's like, oh, I didn't know that happened. I got to get out of here. The persistent, prevailing presence of God. So thankful for that. All right, I, I skipped around a little bit, so we're going to, now we're going to go to that slide you had a second ago. That's what I'm thankful for today. I'm thankful for the persistent, prevailing presence of God. And we're going to close here in just a minute. And, and it's, it's my prayer today that as we close, that th this idea, this truth, it's so simple yet so big and difficult and, and profound, I, I pray that God would help us to see it. That God would help us to know it because, I mean, we've been told this, we've been shown this, but sometimes there's a little piece of us that has a hard time really believing it. And, and we say, we got to tread lightly. We, we mustn't upset our, our Heavenly Father. We got to watch out because any wrong move and, and God's going to. That's not the story that we're told. The story is of God's persistent, prevailing presence in our lives. And so it's, it's my prayer today that even though we know this to be true, that we every day continually see and believe the truth in it. And, and that this, uh, later on this month and, you know, in the next few weeks as we gather around our Thanksgiving tables, that it would be a reminder to us of the first Thanksgiving table, not, not the pilgrims, but talking about communion, and hopefully we're all able to get, a, get your elements. Because this simple act that we, we do at church, 
it signifies to us God's presence with us. That, that God was willing to take on death, even death on a cross, death by our hands in order to be present with us. That God was, was willing to, to go into the very depths of the grave in hell and take us on a three-day journey uh, out to rescue us. That God is serious about seeking us out and about being present in our lives. And so as we gather on later this month around our Thanksgiving tables, pray for a moment during that time that God would remind you of his table, his table where all are welcome, where all are called to. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, when we talk about communion, we call it the Eucharist. Everybody, you've heard that before, I'm sure. It's a weird word. It's Greek. It means thanks, thanksgiving or thankfulness. So the first Thanksgiving meal was when Jesus sat down with his disciples. The Lord's table, it's a sign for us as of the prevailing presence of God. The truth that... I'm trying to get mine open. These things are tricky sometimes. Uh, the truth that, that God is with us. And as we consider these simple elements, they're, they're science for us of his life, his death, his sufferings, his sacrificial death, his, his resurrection, and, and the hope of him coming again. All these things showing us God's desire to be present with us. And I also believe that as we come together to the Lord's table, with these simple elements of the juice and the bread, that God is present with us in a special way. That these simple things are used by God as a way to uh, convey to us and bestow uh, upon us his love and his grace. They, they are used as ways to, to open up our eyes and our hearts to, to see the presence of God already there. And so with all these things in mind and Thanksgiving coming up and all this stuff, I, I just thought it'd be really neat if the first Thanksgiving meal that we shared together, we shared as a church family, focused on the one thing that informs all other things that we're thankful for. And so we're going to come to this table together so that we would be renewed in life and salvation and be made one by the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we gather at this, your table. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who by your Spirit was anointed to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, set at liberty those who are oppressed, Christ healed the sick, fed the hungry, ate with sinners, and established the new covenant for forgiveness of sins. We live in the hope of his coming again. And so as we gather today as the body of Christ to offer ourselves to you, Lord, in praise and in thanksgiving, we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these, your gifts. Make them be by the power of your spirit for us, the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood.
Lord, we pray that by your spirit, you would make us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in the ministry of Christ to all the world until Christ comes in final victory in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you'd like, please pray the Lord's Prayer with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you and be thankful. Take and eat. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ shed for you Preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ died for you. And be thankful. Take and drink. God is good. And all the time. Let's sing a song together. Let's stand together.
going to leave you all with a uh, blessing this morning, a benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the eyes of your heart be open to all the blessings which surround you. May this awareness produce a harvest of generosity in your spirit. May thankfulness rise up within you, not just during this short season, but day after day. May your prayers reflect gratitude and acknowledge the needs of others whose situations are difficult. May the love of Jesus fill your mind and hunger for God drive your soul and guide your speech and actions. And finally, may the grace, peace, and love of the triune God protect, defend, and empower you to run with perseverance the race marked out for you. Amen. Go in God's peace.